Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to Strangers in a Cinema. I'm uh, one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here this week uh, with some guest hosts who I will introduce momentarily. Uh, but before that, a quick public service announcement. Um, Grace has now left the show, so I just wanted to thank her for all of her efforts, um, but she won't be on the show. Going forward, though, the show will be continuing. There will be some guest hosts in the meantime while I look for a permanent replacement. So, without further ado, the guest hosts this week are two people I've worked with, uh, two people that I currently work with who go by the moniker of Rockers Corkers. They do have names. They are Joe and JD. So guys, say hello. Obviously, I know a bit about Rockers Corkers because I work with you on it, but tell us a bit about Rockers Corkers. Tell us a bit about your background. Over to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm Joe. I, I am the Managing Director of Rockers Corkers. So what we do is uh, we're very much on board with using digital technology, modern kind of pop culture and, and what's available to us nowadays to, to bring people together, to use those passions and to use public available spaces to bring people together and share that. Um, so we do things like the pub quiz, which uh, we, we've nicknamed Strangers in a Cinema, or Strangers in a Pub Quiz, rather, I should say. Or the say. Absurd Nerd. Or now the Absurd Nerd, yeah, which we've brought Paul in, and who is, is the voice on that. So when I bang on about the quiz that I host, these guys have got the misfortune of working with me on it and trying <laughs> to rein in the ego as soon as you give me a microphone, which well, but the regular listeners will know about my ego in front of a microphone because you get it weekly. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, we definitely rein in the ego, but yeah, he is, he is a great voice to have on board, uh, and yeah, all all, all our guests uh, really enjoy having him there uh, and yeah we we deliver the latest news kind of like the people's favorites and put it out there and and, and people have had, had a really good positive feedback for us putting new technology things like vr we've diffused bombs in a pub always a couple of pints always helps with with just about anything um and and discussing films the film industry and uh, having people sat around in 20 strong groups and discussing the way directors carry themselves and things like that is is, is just amazing to be part of as, yeah, as which part is, of a, which is all good fun to be fair uh, there's yeah. a light flash on enough guys i have no idea why that is so we're gonna have to put up that as the po- podcast goes on so i apologize yeah, but yeah. we're not even there's not even any horror films for this week <laughs> Oh well, I, I say that, but you've just been to see Brightburn, so exactly, yeah, adds a bit of an atmosphere to it. JD, say hello, to, say a bit about yourself. Obviously, you work with us on the on the quiz, but yeah, hi there. So I'm JD. Basically, I recently sort of drafted myself into Rockers School because, like, it's it's very much Joe's brainchild and everything like that. And uh, but yeah, basically, I got involved with these guys in the quiz, so I help write some of the questions, usually doing the music round when it gets included. Uh, no oh, that's a dig. It's oh, <laughs> back this week. Yeah, yeah. It is back this week for the first time in forever. But yeah, so in other words, you know, really happy to be on board with these guys and like. But actually, you're normally the guy that tells me to tone down some of the film questions. To be fair, yeah. So, so in yeah. other words, I'm kind of like sometimes the mediator, I guess. Like, yeah. is the JD is this too hard? Because I'm a bit more casual in like the game and film <laughs> aspect. So it's like, is this a bit too hard? I'd be like, yeah, maybe just a little bit, but let's see. You know, um, obviously you got to keep it going, haven't you? So. But yeah, um, yeah, glad to be on board with these guys and excited to be here as well. Good. Well, yeah, it's your both. Is it both of your first podcasts? Is that yes. Yeah, ever. Like I've yeah. never, I've never done a podcast, so I apologise to your, your. <laughs> I would say viewers, listeners, <laughs> rather <laughs> as as to any any foibles um, I may have. Joe, not only do you work with us on Rockers Caucus, but you work in VR. Uh, and I think I've mentioned to you before. We, we, I think we had a passing conversation at pub once, and potentially about you. But VR. Um, I don't know how aware listeners are at home. VR films are a thing. Is this is this a, is this true? 
It, it's definitely true, and people will have seen them. Um, I mean, you've got things like the Lawnmower Man, which is longer standing. Uh, which well, that's is, a film about VR, though. But yeah, this is, but, I'm talking about films that use VR, the films you watch within a VR headset. Okay, yeah. I mean, I mean, most people would have seen things like Ready Player One, um, which, I mean, they all follow a similar trope. Uh, we could go into depth about those tropes. Um, this may not be the, the right time to do that, but um, the things like... Um, the, the Rodriguez's, uh, so Michelle Rodriguez and Robert Rodriguez, who was the director for this particular one, um, put out a particular VR film, uh, which was supposed to be one of the, the big, exciting, like the first like proper actors. Do you remember um, what it was called? I'm putting you on the spot now. Oh, Christ almighty. JD, what was it called? <laughs> I can't remember. All I remember is it had Norman Reedus. There was, it, was yeah, it had Norman Reedus. Yeah, yeah it, had, okay. it, had, it had Norman Reedus with an artificial arm and they beat people up and that was about the sum total of the film. That it, sounds brilliant. I don't, I mean, I don't it understand. Was, the, was it any good? Did it work? No, it was terrible. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, it was... Was it The Limit? No, it was more like Hardcore the, Henry. Was it called The Limit? Yes, it was, it was called was, The Limit. Yeah, Rodriguez, yeah. Robert Rodriguez, The Limit. I didn't realise it was made by Robert Rodriguez. Okay. It was Robert Rodriguez, but if you think about Hardcore Henry, that was basically what they were going right, for. Okay. Like, it's in that first-person perspective, and you're going through, you're seeing all of this kind of just beat-em-up style film. Really not much kind of character development, and yeah, it, it just... The, Did, the, the scope with VR is that you can do anything. Yeah. And to do something that has already been done so many times and to do it badly is just doing a disser- so disservice. So in what really. way is it, is it... Is the problem with that film in particular, is it that it does something that's already been done and isn't really embracing... The, do you think it's really embracing the fact that you're in the film? Because Hardcore Henry, for those who are not aware of it, is an action film shot entirely in the first-person perspective which, for my money, gets tiresome very, very quickly. Um, but was an interesting experiment. So, ultimately, is this just the hardcore... Is this just the first-person perspective with your VR headset on? It's, yeah. It's so just, it doesn't really do anything it, new. It's then. nothing new. It's no. just that you you can watch Hardcore Henry and you'll have a better experience and you'll have a better film That's with more budget. Well, so yeah. I, yeah, that is saying something, but that that is the truth. Um, but then you look at things like uh, The Crow, which features John Legend, and you go on these kind of intergalactic uh, kind of experiences, and this is animated, I would say, um, and it takes you out of the world and you go and see all of these things. And it is that that is that is more what VR should be. Um, you've also got um, there's a, a short film called Henry, which is arguably what I would class as the best VR movie that's currently available. Okay. Uh, and that is a very short film from Pixar. And what Pixar do well is evoke very emotional responses. Yeah. So it's just it's a short film about a hedgehog who's having his birthday. And I would recommend anyone who has a headset, uh, adult or child, to go and see this, and you will be in tears. Like it's it's it's. Where can find this? Is, is, is it up on YouTube anywhere? Or is it, it might be, but I'm pretty sure Oculus slash Facebook will have locked that shit down right, okay. hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely. So I can't watch it with my really out of date yeah, PSVR headset. <laughs> you might be able to, but I, I don't. I don't I'm know. But if if you see it, it just it just grabs you right deep down, and it just shows you this incredible perspective on a story. And it, it does everything that VR should do for but you. Does it what? What do, without? I guess I'm trying not to spoil the film here. But does it use the VR headset in a way that that adds to it? Do you see where I'm coming from, or is it just a Pixar animation transposed into VR? 
You see, do you see where I'm coming from? Exactly. Yes, uh, I would say I would say you're correct. I would say in that instance, uh, Pixar have excelled themselves. They've created a short little story, which just is great. And being in that perspective and having that being in that world really brings it home to you. But being in a VR headset doesn't really add anything to it. No. Okay. Whereas something like The Crow, where you're out in the stars and you're yeah. seeing all this stuff. That perspective and that kind of that kind of placement in the scene does add something, but that that's something that will develop. Um, yeah, I'm intrigued yeah. to see where it's going to go because I said I've I'll be honest, I've used my head, VR headset mainly for gaming, um, mm. well, pretty much primarily for gaming. To be honest, so I haven't really got in. I weirdly being into film, I haven't really in, I haven't really dived into like the VR film side of things. I had no idea where you guys had made that, so I'm definitely going to check that out. Despite the fact you said it was a <laughs> Not great, shall we say? Yep. But no, it's yeah, it's interesting it's times, true. and I think anything that anything any new technology that filmmakers can get their hands on is always entertaining. And R- Rodriguez is a director that always interests me, so um, I'm still hopeful that maybe you're wrong, but I've got a feeling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you wait. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, that gives you a, a bit of an idea about what you guys do and what do we do with Rockers Caucus. The next when's the next quiz, Joe? You always tell me when it is. Thirtieth so. of June in the Canon in, in Bath. Bath. So if you live in Bath and want to come to see me make a tit of myself with a microphone, um, then and meet obviously the lovely Rockers Caucus team as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, then thirtieth of June in the Canon Bar in Bath, we have the Rockers Caucus Absurd Nerd Quiz. So yes, all good. Right. The rest of this week's episode will be a similar format to what you guys at home are used to. So, um, I'm be aware I'm putting these guys very much on the spot here with their with their very first podcast. Um, so, we are going to do the usual sections, which is what we've been watching. Um, so, that will be a section where the three of us take it in turns. I think we've read some of... I think, JD, you've got one film. I've got three. Joe's got two, I think. It ultimately doesn't hugely matter. Um, and then we will have the feature review this week will be Men in Black International. <laughs> How exciting. Uh, and then if we've got time after that, we might do a quick rundown of kind of films that we're all excited about that are still yet to come out this year. Mm-hmm. So um, that'll be the rundown of the show. Uh, but we'll be back with the what we've been watching section after this brief interlude. So, I'm not going to go first because it seems rude of me. I'm going to let one of the guests go first. Who would like to go first? So, I have volunteered to go first. This, this is JD. Is, this is JD. Yes, because yep. people are not going to be familiar with yeah, voice. No. And we were aware when we were warming up for this that we perhaps all sound exactly the fucking same. Yeah, <laughs> it was It was literally like, I, I think I heard Joe's voice speaking first and then mine straight afterwards. And I was like, did, did one of us just speak twice? It's like, it's got to that point. <laughs> but <laughs> We have lived together on and off for a long That's time. That's the thing, we just adapted each other's voices now. <laughs> Comedians. Good. Well, I'm glad, <laughs> glad we've got that over. Um, what film do you want to talk about? <laughs> cool. So I'm actually going to talk about The Fugitive from 93. Obviously the classic sort of thriller film starring... Um, this film was massive when it came out. It was like, huge. Everywhere. Like, yeah. This film was just... I don't... There's certain films like The Fugitive mm. and... Sorry, I'm talking over you already. No, um, that's all right. But there's certain films like <laughs> The Fugitive and there's certain films... Uh, something came to mind the other day. There's certain films that come out that you just... I don't know whether films are even that big. With the exception of the Marvel films, I don't know if films ever get that big anymore, but The Fugitive mm. was one of those films that was just everywhere. I'm just trying to think. There's another couple that... Uh, Endgame? Yeah, but it's Marvel, isn't it? Yeah. Like, into, oh, exactly. Outside yeah. of the Marvel stuff. I guess like Blair Witch Project, maybe. some. Of, I'm just trying to think. 
I suppose like um, when Avatar came completely out of nowhere. Avatar I mean, it was, was 3D, massive. but like, um, it di- I didn't think anyone expected it to go. No, that but the Fugitive silly. was I was think, massive for well, its I think, time. I think the thing is, is that this was these are films that got massive without the internet. Yeah, yeah. And I think definitely. that's that's probably what I'm getting at is like for a film to get it's bizarre now that we think you could ever publicize a film without the internet. Yeah, but obviously they did, and the Fugitive mm. was everywhere. So sorry. No, that's cool. That aside, I suppose, um, yeah. What, I su- what do you want to say about it? I, I suppose leading on from that, I suppose like that that's a classic instance of star power. You know, it's yeah. Tommy Lee Jones, it's Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is, I think, I don't know if this is still correct, but was the highest grossing actor of all. I think he probably times. still is the most. Probably, I think he still is, obviously, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, etc. So, um, so yeah, I think it was just star power drew that in. Um, to be honest, it all stems from the fact that I I rewatched this film probably more than I should do. Um, it's just to me, it's a classic thriller. You know, it's it's like it's well directed, it's well filmed, like directed by Andrew Davis, um, who's not someone I'm massively familiar with. Like, I think that's the only film of his I'm. Uh, right, you're looking at me for knowledge here. Uh, yeah, familiar. Andrew Davis <laughs> of that film, that film. I'm looking him up. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> but yeah, um, basically, it's just it's kind of a nostalgia feeling for me because it was one of those films where when I was younger. Like you know, this film obviously rated a fifteen, but I was seven years old and my whoa whoa whoa! <laughs> I hope the BBFC aren't listening. So you were seven, mm-hmm. and this film was rated a fifteen. Who yeah. let who let you watch this? Uh, my aunt, questionably, with my, okay. my parents' knowledge, so <laughs> they're off the hook. So that's fine. Um, but yeah, and I just watched it, and it's it's not a film that should enthrall. Do you know what I mean? A seven-year-old, you expect Marvel, Star Wars, things like that. But there was just something about, I don't know whether it was the pacing, or it probably was like the dynamic performances that the, you know, the two lead actors gave. But something just drew me in. There were just amazing moments, obviously. Like, I mean, I'm going to say spoiler alert. It is a 26-year-old film. I think you're fine. <laughs> you know, I'll, I will allow spoilers for yeah, the a 26-year-old yeah. film. Yeah. But, you know, like sections where... There was a remake, weird enough. Did you know that? Yeah, obviously. It's, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, based on the TV series, isn't it? Mm. From the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, um, which I have never watched any of. So me to me, the Fugitive is just <laughs> is just Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. But, yeah, just, you know, the the iconic part where they're in the, um, you know, where they're in the tube. In this, uh, yes. Yeah, like... Even I remember to... that, and I'll be honest, I think the last time I watched this film was possibly 1995, three? <laughs> wow, well, so, yeah. How was yeah. I in secondary school mm. in 1993 so I wouldn't have been allowed to see it in 1993 because my upbringing was clearly stricter than yours <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> so I probably would have had to wait day and date until I was 15 to watch this film so possibly in 1997 I saw this for the first time I don't know I'm, fucking, I'm making this up now I have no idea Fair when enough. I was fugitive but despite that fact I haven't watched it for probably that many years and there are yeah. so and ultimately it's the kind of film that I would look back and think why would I remember that yeah but I do certain scenes have stuck with me in fairness yeah so. And there's just like so much like cool trivia around it, you know, like in the section obviously Harrison Ford where he goes, I didn't kill my wife, and he just goes, I don't care. Tommy Lee Jones made up on the spot. It's things like that. It's just I think that's what gave it such a like cool atmosphere. And I think, yeah, it's one of those few films, like to me, I, I'm always looking for another thriller or another film, for example, that has the same pacing. Like it's a it's a two hour movie, which obviously it's not long nowadays with when you got the Marvel Universe and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and all that cropping up. But it keeps me hooked. And it's one of those few films I've actually watched like twice in a row. Like I've watched the okay. film, finished it, and then had to watch it again. And I have no idea why. Just because it's 
Now, you say that about watching <laughs> the film twice in a row. Mm. I'm going to list you some of Andrew Davies' other films. Okay. And you need to tell me if you've watched any of these twice in a row. Okay. And then I want you to decide, Joe, whether Andrew <laughs> Davis peaked at The Fugitive or not. <laughs> whether Andrew Davis peaked at The Fugitive or not. So, some of his other work includes A Perfect Murder, Collateral Damage, The Guardian, which I've never seen. I think that was with... Look, that was one with Ashton Kutchner, I think. Okay. That lifeguard. <laughs> uh, Holes, Just Legal, A Perfect Murder, Chain Reaction. That's what you've made after The Fugitive. The year before The Fugitive, you made Under Siege. Okay. <laughs> right. So the question then is, have you watched any of those films twice in a row? Or Hol- even at all? <laughs> Holes, I'm assuming, is that the Disney one? Uh, yes. Yeah, the one that was originally the book. Yeah, like I enjoyed that Holes movie as a kid. Okay. So... Fair play to him. He's made two films I like. Chain Reaction, though. <laughs> Do you remember Chain Reaction? Have you seen no, this? Film? I've... It's pretty bad. Sandra Bullock vehicle, I think. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, so, no, by the sounds of things, yeah, he might have peaked at The Fugitive. Well, I don't know. No. I, <laughs> the Guardian. The Guardian. I do recognise. So I. I can't honestly say that. I, I could testify to a lot of, of detail about it, but I do remember one particularly drunken evening, someone piping up and staking their claim to saying, right, we've got to watch this. And they're saying, I've watched this throughout my entire life. I watched it over and over again, which is like what you say with The Fugitive. You've yeah. watched it multiple times. Cool. How the many Gar- times have you watched The Guardian? This is not. This is what someone else is saying. Right, this okay. is how they encouraged me to watch this film. Okay. So I trusted in them. Um, so yeah, I, I I I remember Ashton Kushner in this. I mean, this this was an evening where everyone was was pretty cut. Um, and The Guardian was a lifeguard film. It was it was basically kind of Top Gun for Guardians. It's Kevin Costner and Ashton Kushner. Yeah, it was. was I I remember it as kind of Top Gun of lifeguards. Right. Okay. Um, But considering we were all pretty past the pale, like we fully enjoyed this film. Like it was, it was a great movie. Like I don't remember a lot about it. What you're trying to tell me then is that he didn't peak with the Fugitive. I would. The Guardian was better. I, I couldn't testify to that, but I would say that if we all watched <laughs> this film again and compared it to (laughs) the Fugitive, I think there would be a it would be in with a running. Okay. Interesting. Um, I'll now have to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm intrigued now. Uh, I'm intrigued by The Guardian now. I remember reading nothing but shit reviews for it. I'll be honest with you. Well, the I, time, I tamper but... that with the fact that we're all very drunk, so we'll see. But <laughs> exactly. that's definitely one for again. Okay, so you think Andrew Davis peaked with The Guardian. Um, I'm going to stick with The Fugitive, I think. Um, although I do have a soft spot for Under Siege because Steven Seagal does say the one-liner, no, that's striking an officer. Uh, but Under Siege was before it. Do you think he picked with Fugitive, or do you think Perfect Murder, Chain Reaction, or do you think Holes was better? I don't think Holes was better. Okay. I think he, he, he probably did peak with Fugitive in that case, but I'm not so... Yeah, he didn't make... He made at least one decent film after okay. I think he'd love to know that Holes was on the UK syllabus for about every high school. In the that did help. They okay. did absolutely brainwash us with clips from that film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, right. I still enjoyed it. Well, that's that incredible game that I just made up on the spot over with. Um, <laughs> so, hope everyone enjoyed that. That might not be a feature that's coming back. I don't know. Uh, Joe, what have you been watching, sir? Uh, so, I've, I've, I've my most recent film, other than Men in Black, which you've just been to see, was John Wick 3. Um, so, I was a, a fairly recent addition to John Wick. I, I kind of went through a phase where I watched so many thrillers uh, that I kind of just kind of took a bit of a break from them and then John Wick had come out 
uh, all three of them, admittedly, which is quite a large period of time. And then eventually people persuaded me that I should definitely get back into it and watch them. I watched John Wick 1. Are really going to say that you watched John Wick 1, 2 and then 3? Is this what's coming? <laughs> you've, you've summed that up perfectly. It's almost like I you've done I, this I as think, a profession. Yeah. I was going to say, but, I think I was literally the person who encouraged you to watch 1 and 2. So. You, were the, you were the person and that encouraged you've me. you've seen but, 3 before me. But yes, you, you inspired me to watch them and, and I did. I, I watched one uh, a little bit before the others and I enjoyed it. It was a good thriller. Um, but I kind of left it at that. I, there was, two was already out, but I hadn't gone back to see it. Three came out, uh, and I went. To, I was going to go and see three, so I thought, right, I've got to go and see John Wick two. So I sat down, uh, drank half a bottle of uh, Stolly, and I absolutely <laughs> loved it. I, I went to see this with my sister, and I hope she doesn't mind me mentioning this. She were we went for her birthday. We took her out for lunch, and she said, "I want to see John Wick three for my birthday." And I'd have put that voice on because this is kind of the state she arrived in. And she'd been suffering from a migraine all week, like a really heavy migraine. She was like, right, I've triple dosed on codeine just in case. <laughs> and she came out of it and she was just, uh, she was, yeah, she was having a great time. She's fucking best I've ever seen. <laughs> Is this three? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so I, I watched uh, John Wick 2 the night before, first time I'd seen it, and just the, the sheer kind of uh, controlled, uh, kind of just passion of of the the world the characters the set the everything of just this that was all just explicitly relevant to the particular trade and and the the kind of cameos and set piece that they were setting up was just perfect in my mind i was like this is a great portrayal they're not they're not trying to do anything more than exactly what a thriller should do and they've executed it perfectly so i was like i'm pumped for three so next day i went to see john wick three I can't say it was as good as two. Personally, I I still I still had I still love two, uh, especially seeing both of them so fresh next to each other. Yeah. Three had some incredible scenes, which I can't spoil. Um, it's just but... the sheer physicality of the stunt work, though. And I think the the one thing the one thing that the first film brought to it was basically um, an east like a an eastern philosophy to a Holly, in terms of fight scenes to Hollywood films. So directors Chad Stowalski, I've ruined his name every time I talk about him in the show, he come, he actually comes from a stunt background, so I'm fairly confident he worked in the Matrix in some capacity. Uh, he co-directed with the first one with David Leitch, who went on to make Atomic Bond and coming up this year, Hobbs and Shaw, he's directing. Um, so he co-directed the first film, but then he's gone, he's, so you kept the same creative team together, mm. and the fact that he comes from a stunt background like really, really shows, and I think Keanu Reeves was doing a ridiculous amount of training. I was going to say he's fighting. The point is, he's fighting, um, and you can tell he's fighting. And I think that, like, and also the other thing is, and I think the other thing as well, I think because the guy comes from a stunt background, he's he's so keen to make sure the camera shows exactly what those people are doing. Mm. There's none of this kind of Michael Bay fucking choppy, quick cut editing where you don't know what's going on. Like you can see. You can feel every bone break. You can see every kick land, and I think that that really mm. works, and that's even more evident, I think, in John Wick Three than mm. it perhaps was in Two. But that's that's my point. It's, it's in all three films, the thing that really resonates with you, and as is is a thriller. That's the the, the kind of the, the genre it's going for, and what it does well is those set pieces and those attention to detail in those high octane kind of chases and fight scenes. And it, yeah, you're right. It is it is tantamount to those kind of things. Like in 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 the kind of the Asian film genre, where it's it's really taking that well, to it's, heart. It's the and... only. I tell you, it's it's the only. I think it's fair to say it's probably the only Hollywood film I've seen that can hold a candle to something like The Raid in terms of the quality of its fight scenes. Oh, the Raid is yes, like, yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. But the, the the my problem with with number one was that it kind of 
it got it did go a little bit Hollywood. It tried to add story to that, which it had to build the world. I appreciate that watching all three of them now. It had to build that world, but that that some of the extra things like about his his dog and things like that, which was important and it did contribute to it. It it was in it was fluff in comparison to the sheer kind of cold calculated nature of him as a character and and the filmography and uh, and the rest of the piece which was the the sheer kind of incredibleness of the whole thing i mean you take john wick 2 when they go into the the scene with the the kind of the the tailor uh, and the, and the gunsmith and they go through everything and the way they word that the snaps the shots the way they use the cameras it's just it's it's as clinical as putting together a gun and firing it like. yeah and i think for for that though i think it's just a newfound confidence in the directors because i, I would wager when they made well they they fucking said as much themselves when they made john wick one they did not expect to be offered a sequel like so they're suddenly like right what can we do we can do what we please now we've got more money let's let's have some more toys let's add to it and i think the john wick 3 i think takes place what two hours after the events of john wick john wick 1 which is ridiculous when you think about it um they've announced four now as well haven't they yeah this is where i struggle <laughs> have you seen the third one yet i haven't no, okay so but... my my problem with john wick 3 to be honest was the ending because my understanding it was going to be three and out and I have a problem with the end, it being a bit silly even by John Wick standards. But my cons- bigger, bigger concern than the silly ending is, A, I went in expecting it to close. So when you don't get closure from what you think is the third film in the trilogy, there's ultimately going to be a bit of a disappointment there. So yeah. I'll be intrigued to watch it a second time. My other problem is, at some point there's going to be a shit one. Yeah. So please stop making them. Just cap it off it's when four, they've all it, been good. Yeah. That's my worry. Is yeah. four going to be a film too far? But yeah. aside from that, Joe, I'm, I'm with you. I thought the, the set pieces were absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, I think if, if they're going to go into another film, I think they, they need to dive into Lawrence Fishburne's character. Um, he the, the kind of the world that that's set up there um, is, is fantastic. Um, the, the kind of the underworld, like the proper underworld with the kind of the people that are, are cast out um, and it's, it's something that's not really portrayed in any other kind of uh, kind of slick thriller. Like it's all very much black tie. I mean, even if you look at Jason Bourne, who is very much kind of one of my favourites of that kind of genre, He's not James Bond, but he's still he's got agencies behind him. He can tap into money. He can tap into a plane when he wants to. Um, something that's completely other to that is an interesting concept. So if they want to go down that road in, in four, then I'm all for that. Yeah, fair enough. Right. What question have you got for me, guys? What, generally? A live question? Okay. This is, this, you've broached this What have one. I been watching, I hear you ask? <laughs> yes, what have you been <laughs> yeah. watching, Paul? Well, guys, funny you should ask that. Um, I am... What, what, do, what am I going to talk about? I'm going to cut down to two, I think, because we, we are running on, which is good. We're having a good chat, so I'm going to cut it down to two. Um, I want to bring up the fact that I got the absolute privilege to watch a film I haven't seen for many, many years on the big screen, and I'd completely forgotten how good it was. And this is Steven Spielberg's 1998... Saving Private Ryan. Um, oh my God, what a delight it is Still to see on a cinema screen. One of the best like, I just think, in terms of its set pieces, they're just. I mean, everyone, everyone remembers the beach scene, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, but I almost think that they almost remember the beach scene at the expense of some of the other set pieces. Like the one, if, if it's alright to cut in, the one I remember yeah, yeah. is the is the um, is it the section in the sort of town square where the clock tower is involved. Yes. That is just incredible. It's just, I've never... It's heart-pounding. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely heart And it just looks fantastic. Yeah. Like, it feels like you're there. I've never... Mm. 
like I'd love to have seen I'd love to have watched them shoot it but the physicality in those scenes like it hasn't it's came out in 1998 and it hasn't aged a day no. like in terms of in terms looks, of the quality it of looks the war scenes. amazing um, like yeah it yeah, just looks yeah. yeah it just looks just staggering me and it just to see it on the big screen again it would, was an absolute delight um I'd accept the criticism that perhaps it's a little bit overwrought and slightly smaltzy in places, but it still had me in tears at the end. So yeah. it's obviously yeah. worked for me. Um, the story, I think, holds up really quite well. I think it was I vaguely remember. So I think it's possibly people just being contrarians and kind of turning on it for turning on its sake that the story came under a bit of criticism. I think when it when it first came out, but. I don't have an issue with the story myself. I think everyone... You've got a really, really good cast here. Um, the only thing that dates it is that um, the actor Barry Pepper's in this. And Barry Pepper's... I don't know what Barry Pepper's doing now. Um, I forget his character's name in this, but he was in loads of stuff around the time. You'd recognise his face if you saw him. Uh, so Barry Pepper, if you're listening, let us know what you're up to. Uh, <laughs> that's about the only thing that dates this. But Tom Hanks Reject. is brilliant. Uh, Matt Damon's brilliant. Um, Tom Sizemore and Tom Sizemore's still acting he wasn't in jail at this point that's the other thing that <laughs> this film um, yeah Tom Sizemore's fantastic um, really bizarre to see Vin Diesel in I this. was just about to yeah, say like a really young Vin I'm Diesel I'm not making it up Vin Diesel's in yes, this yes absolutely yeah. my wife just looked at me she was like is that Vin Diesel <laughs> and then uh, my wife doesn't speak like that I'm sorry um, and then Nathan Fillion turns up in this and Brian, a young Brian, Cran like Brian Cranston's in this mm. as well so like there's an awesome supporting cast rounding this out but yeah like the set that opening beat set piece is just relentlessly bleak yeah. and uh, as horrible as it needs to be and it was just just an absolute joy to see this on the big screen mm. so yeah, uh, yeah I, I, we studied this in 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 gcse's and at that level like it was just mm. it was stunning like the, and yeah. it's never changed my opinion on it has never changed it's an incredible piece and even to uh, even with the kind of the recent kind of anniversaries and things going on where they've they've re, re looked at pieces like that the, the kind of veterans of the time have, have gone back and I've read news pieces where they've said like that was what it was like yeah. like it, it is true to to the form um, which is a real testament yeah. to absolutely doesn't pull any punches and that's I think that's a sign of a, a good do you know what I mean? That's some like good. Film yeah, I mean it's time. you know yeah. that 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 whole that whole opening scene on the beach mm. could have been a scene out of a horror film, like yeah, without exactly. Sort of that, and he's meant it's meant in and that's work. that's the point. Yeah, like, they're trying to yeah. tell you this is not Hollywood and sort of like back in the day, like the heroes of the well, the heroes of the time. But you know what I mean? Like in other words, it was a horror show. It wasn't. Yeah. In a, in a, in in a perfect world for me, the only yeah. thing that could have been done. Differently in in hindsight, only in, in ex bold ad advanced hindsight. <laughs> Here we go. Is, is, this is bold territory. You've gone, through, you've gone through thirty minutes on a film podcast, and now you turn Spielberg out to remake Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, I'm, that's I'm referencing the... Nolan. So, right, okay. oh, here we go. Okay. Oh God, you want oh, a non-linear okay. narrative? No, no, fuck no. <laughs> Um, Batman in it? No, I don't know. No, it's nothing, <laughs> nothing like that at all. Okay. Like it, it's a small part of of a device that uh, Dunkirk used, which I liked, and it wasn't the non-linear narrative. Um, it it was the fact that they, they they didn't necessarily show the enemies. They used a really incredible soundscape to kind of uh, focus in on the characters that you were watching from the side that were addressing the beach okay. and coming up, and and like that kind of you were just focused on them. Mm. You could just you couldn't see who was attacking them, but you just heard these gunshots coming and smacking off the walls and that, that like that approach. I really mm. loved like that really aggressive 
you couldn't see. It, it, mm. I mean, it, that not seeing what the enemy is in whatever it is, whether it's a horror or yeah. whatever, yeah. I think really then, works. Then, if it's alright, say I, I, I quite like the human nature of Saving Private Ryan in the fact that it, it does. Show, oh, it's been a while since I've seen it. I'll be honest. Well, no, because I the, the bits shows sides, well, the it? bits that I'd forgotten about were the bits where they actually they take the Germans, they initially take Germans prisoner, and it shows them fucking savagely shooting the Germans. And that's the thing. And then yeah, you have and that you whole remember, scene with the, with, the, sides. with the German prisoner of war that they let go, and then mm. he finds him at the end. He's actually yeah. fighting against them, and then you've got the like the the what's the best way to describe it? The more bookish guy who no, never expects yeah. to see frontline combat, like the more techie guy. Mm. Uh, and then he, yeah, then he turns around and shoots the guy that he previously let go because he thought if he let the guy go, he wouldn't start killing his own men again. So yeah, mm. the more human side, I think, I think works. I, yeah, um, that's, that that's... to be said, I like, I do like that mechanism in Dunkirk. Yeah, well. like the faceless enemy is works well but I think the, the, the human Private Ryan. but yeah. then that's like Spielberg uh, you could argue all day who's a better director of Spielberg or Nolan I, Spielberg does emotion better than Nolan does without a shadow oh, of a doubt yeah. Um, yeah but yeah an absolute privilege to see it on the big screen again mm-hmm. and uh, yeah just a big shout out to Odeon because Odeon have got um, Full Metal Jacket coming uh, not Full Metal Jacket Apocalypse Now Final Cut's coming out and Jaws is on the big screen in a couple of weeks at Odeon as well. So, oh, that'd be cool. um, yeah, um, I love seeing classic films on the big screen. So please, 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 please release more of them. It's always good. It's always good rather than just rolling out Blade Runner every year, which seems to happen for a while, <laughs> which is great. I love seeing Blade Runner on the big screen, but that did seem to be the only film they were re-releasing for ages. So, yeah, all good. All good. Um, right. We were going to do another film each, but I don't think we've got time, to be honest. Mm, um, so... Uh, we'll be back after this with our feature review of Be Excited, F. Gary Gray, my favourite director of all time. Uh, his Men in Black 4, was it? Yes, Men in yeah, Black International. Four, yeah. We'll be back after this. I think what we're looking at is a blue giant. Just press the button and see, see what this thing does. Are you suggesting that we try a weaponized star for fun? Mm-hmm. Well, for science and fun. They don't call it the empty quarter for nothing. Yes, that's why I made the suggestion. Go. Uh, at just point zero zero mm-hmm. one, what do you think? Yeah, just start off slow. Press the button. Okay. Mm. Maybe ratchet it up a few notches a little higher. Whoa. Uh, do we think anyone's going to notice that that wasn't there before? So back we are with our feature review of Men in Black International, directed by F. Gary Gray and starring uh, the very beautiful Christopher Hemsworth and also the very beautiful Tessa Thompson. Also supporting duties, we have Kamel Nanjani, um, who is one of my favourite comedians at the moment and probably delivers one of the best performances in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, on villainous duties, we have Rebecca Ferguson, Rebecca Ferguson uh, and also playing a supporting role. Is he the villain? I wonder. It's Liam Neeson. Uh, so he's in this as well. Uh, spoiler spoilers. Warning there. Spoiler <laughs> alert, spoilers yeah. there. Um, to set this up, um, so it's the Men in Black series um, is like, obviously we do the podcast and I talk about films a lot. And honestly, for the however many, however many years it's been since the last Men in Black film, 
literally, even people who don't really talk about films, all I hear in pubs is people going, when's the next Men in Black film coming out? When's that coming? That's all you hear everywhere. In the supermarkets, when's Men in Black film Which coming pubs out? Which pubs and supermarkets no, have you been in? None of them, pub? Joe. That's my point. None of them. This is, this is not a sequel that people have been clamouring for. Let's be perfectly honest about that. There is, no, I don't think there's been any real people just going, to, oh. To use the term dark horse is... Definitely, yeah. It's definitely yeah. I mean, here. I was fairly surprised when they announced this. I'll it be was, honest. I, I um, only realised it, it was coming out a week ago. Like I thought, like the trailer just appeared out of nowhere to me. I swear it just went. Here's the film. It's out in a week. You're like, excuse me. <laughs> okay, so to to set the scene uh, on this one, um, it picks up a number of years after the last um, effort, Men in Black Three, which was had Josh Brolin. Uh, certainly starred Josh Brolin, um, which and I Will, and Will Smith as well, didn't it? Was it Josh Brolin and Will Smith? Just yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, because he was a younger version of Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he got sucked back in time. Which I'll be honest, I quite like Men in Black Three, and that's quite an unpopular opinion, but I remember quite enjoying it. And maybe it Funny, was because I, I didn't really, but yeah, it might be because, <laughs> but it might be one of those films that when your expectation is so low that you go yes. into it, you end up having quite a good time with it. So that that may be the thing. But regardless, I didn't feel like I needed Men in Black Four. Yeah. Um, so the original the original cast have gone. Um, the only real reference to um, the first film is a picture of Will Smith and Tommy <laughs> Jones characters, Agent J and Agent K from Men in Black One. Um, there are some, yeah, you've got, got this, this very similar setup with with the Men in Black agency protecting the Earth against the scum of the universe. They're a covert organization who protect against alien threats and seem to manage kind of relationships with aliens in the rest of the galaxy, ensuring Earth doesn't get destroyed in a road building exercise, all that kind of thing. So it's that, that kind of similar, very similar vibe to, to the original films. Um, yeah, and the premise of this is that um, Tessa Thompson's character, who is yeah. Agent M in this, or Molly, um, she has an alien encounter when she's young with possibly the most careless men in black agents I've ever seen that just don't neuralise her <laughs> for no particular reason I mean, at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that is <laughs> particularly... I mean, quite a big daughter, well, I mean, a big I mean, right the I mean they, the they turn yeah. up... I <laughs> yeah. mean, this is like a drive-by shooting where they've turned up, knocked on the door, got their Uzis out and then walked off. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah, pretty... I mean, so it's a pretty big plot hole at the start of the film. But anyway, so Molly, Molly played by Tessa Thompson, um, played very well by Tessa Thompson, I have to say. She is one of the shining lights in this film. Film, uh, one of the few shining lights in this film. Um, so yeah, she has an extraterrestrial encounter when she is a child uh, and grows up obsessed with the Men in Black and is desperate to join them. Um, she tracks down the Men in Black. She gets to join them. She is then sent to London to investigate what's going on with the uh, MIB London branch because there might be a mole. It's Liam Neeson, uh, <laughs> which I said there. in the trailer. But very first trailer, yeah. I was like, Liam Neeson's a villain, like. And that generally, they're working with the, the, some aliens, some CGI aliens called the Hive. Rebecca Ferguson is a arms dealer that might be the villain, but isn't because it's Liam Neeson. Um, <laughs> You're really set up to destroy people. I'm really set up by because it's so fucking obvious. Um, I mean, it's Liam Neeson. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, you're yeah. saying what you're saying is the trailer should be. It's Liam Neeson. Yeah, basically. yeah, it's pretty it's... much. So yeah, so that's the basic premise of the film. Um, I'm before I throw it over to you guys. I'm gonna say like, I I have never seen a more formulaic blockbuster than this. Like I I just I've never seen a more I I don't I mean I've sat through a lot of stuff and enjoyed I enjoyed Godzilla King of Monsters for example and that's an mm. unpopular opinion but I've just never seen a film more mired in Hollywood mediocrity than this. 
I'll be perfectly honest. I just there's there's some moments Kamal Nanjani's little alien character is is very very funny, but the rest of it is just by the numbers. It's just like pick a Hollywood plot, pick a Hollywood sci-fi plot, and then put these characters into it. I, I just I, I I I think I felt that the film was neuralizing me the entire way through. I, I'd nearly forgotten it by the time the credits rolled. What I mean, what did you guys think? I mean, I I went into it with uh, the kind of the the ringing in my ears of of my better half, my wife Charlotte's, like wanting to come and see it. Uh, obviously, because it stars a leading lady, uh, Tessa Thompson and Rebecca Ferguson. Um, yeah, so and Chris like, Hemsworth in it, and he's he's alright. He's, he's not a leading lady, but no. you can give him that. But. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so so it it has it it has its purposes and it ha- it has like a, a stamp on something that's progressive. So I went into it with that mindset. So w- with that mindset, um, Tessa Thompson is fantastic. She is great. She's very cool. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson as well is is an awesome character, and they both portray that very well in in the piece. Like they 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 are one of the the better parts of the film, yeah. undoubtedly. Um, but you, you come across the problem that that they're set up to be these awesome characters, and clearly Hollywood had gone right. We have Me Too. We have a problem. What can we do? Let's well, let's just da- let's just Google search our database. Oh, this has got men in the title. Well, Men in Black. Cool. Let's just make that relevant. Right. Um, so they've pulled that out of the garbage, and they and they've run with it. And that's not a bad thing. Like in 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 the kind of the the spirit of doing that, that's a great idea. The problem is when you go through the story and they've co- they've created these great characters they've given them backstory they've given them pretty good lines like they are they are good characters um but then i mean i don't know whether you're happy with me giving a spoiler away here um, is it that Liam Neeson's the villain no no i mean <laughs> if, if that if that was if that degree, was the so. only spoiler <laughs> then that would be great but uh, i mean they they go through the the classic thing where they've got these these awesome characters and at the end uh, Tessa Thompson's character Molly turns around and oh, but she's in love with the main character because he's a male and that's how they have to end a story because it's a male-female cast not because she's awesome and she's fought her way into this awesome position and she's great at it and that's how they want to progress the piece like it has to go back to that original trope. Yeah, and, I and, where you're coming from. But and, why? And and for me, like that, that's a bit disappointing. I mean, it could be more. It's it's a piece about the future. It's a piece about progressiveness, and there's still p- things that are just rooted in the past. Um, and and they could have broken that if they were going for that, and they clearly were because throughout the whole film they make an effort to make. <laughs> well, a there's point that of gag. It. There's a gag with um the Emma Thompson character is that I tried to get it called Women in Black and like. And then, yeah, like little things like that. He says something like, oh, "Women keep kicking you. Women keep saving the men." And it's yeah, it's quite it's laid on quite thick, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, 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 it's that yeah. one bit. It's another. It's another spoiler. But you know, when Chris Hemsworth is giving a random speech at a random point in Naples, do you know what I mean? And he and he, he goes, "We're the men in black." No, the men and women in black. Yeah, and he turns yeah. to Tessa Thompson, it on, which is which is fine. Yeah, but no, I see where you're coming from. And also, it's kind yeah. of lazy writing. Tessa it's just a bit lazy, him, right? yeah. Like, it it just why did it? It didn't need to happen. She should have just gone. They should have gone the separate yeah. ways at the end. And, and you look at it. him as a character as well. Like, if you look, if, if if you look at him, whether you're a man or a woman, you look at him as a as a character. I mean, he is in. He he he's not someone 
on apart from being Chris Hemsworth, who is an attractive man, like his personality is not something that at any point has gone like, mm, I, yeah, I would. He's he's proficient and like he's definitely wooed me. Like they've just gone, yeah, you love him now. <laughs> like, I mean, performances wise, you said that, like I thought I thought Tessa Thompson was good here, and I mm. think she's she's generally good in everything she does. Definitely. In all honesty, um, I think yeah, she she brings much of the energy to this film. Mm. What did you guys make of Chris Hemsworth here? Because I I like I generally. When Chris Hemsworth plays for comedy, I quite I quite like him. It, to me, that he fell a bit flat in this for me. I, I was, felt like he was trying to be too hard to be Chris Hemsworth. I was like, just yeah. I was just gonna say to me, it was like I don't know. Obviously, the big comparison, and there is there's a hint to it, a massive hint to it in the film of him being Thor. Yeah. Um, and you know they make a joke out of it and stuff like that. Thor, for some reason, like uh, he grew into that character, and I think that came with time. Like he naturally became funny with that character. Yeah. Like I found, especially in Endgame, he was one of my favorite characters in Endgame. Um, in this, it was almost like they shooed him onto set and went, "Be Thor, be Thor." But you don't have the beard, but be Thor. Do you know what I mean? Just, just go do what you do. And it almost it did feel forced. Do you yeah, know what I mean? There was I'd... a lot of cheesy one-liners well, looks because, at the camera and that that's the thing and yeah. it's bizarre because he he, he can't he's capable of having chemistry with tessa thompson because he that's does the, yeah. they have great chemistry yeah. in thor ragnarok so yeah, of course i thought if and i literally i came into this i genuinely thought if nothing else like these that's two gonna are going to carry this film for yeah. me like those two are going to be great together and actually for me the people that carried the film were commander and johnny as yep. the time that was voicing the time that alien character pawnee mm. and then tessa thompson as agent m those yeah. those are the two that carried the film for me but i didn't think they had they bounced off each other particularly well in this especially compared to the fact they've worked together before yeah no it's it's it, i think that's i think that's what like when you from an outside perspective, obviously, no, like I didn't know anything about this film. Like it just came out of nowhere. I was like, "Where well, MIB used to have quite a big standing." Do you know what I mean? Like when the new MIB comes out, it was a big deal. Do you know what I mean? The first yeah. and the second one had quite a big thing. The third one, people were a bit like, "Okay." Um, and this one, you'd expect it's like if you have reservations, you're saying, like, "Oh, but those two have worked together. They're naturally well, going to have exactly a chemistry." Th- that's exactly yeah. what I thought. It's like going into, I'm going to take something from this, but then, yeah. But no, like. Chris Hemsworth was, you're right, he was really, fl- he was just your bog standard kind of, I'm trying to be funny. I'll tell you who else was bad in this. Rafe Spall was almost unwatchably poor in this at times, as Agent C. Oh, yeah, that, that was, pa- was very laboured. That was that, very hard that to was, watch that. Because he to, can be good. Like, it, I mean, yeah, I've seen yeah. Rafe Spall be good and bad in equal to measure. Me, to I be definitely, honest. I. But and he was set up and like going back to the plot a little bit rather than just yeah. performances. He was signposted as the villain. It's just like it's definitely not him. It's definitely Liam Neeson. Like I've never, as I said, what did you guys think of the plot? Am I being mean to the plot on this one? No. Or no. was it that? I, time? I mean, I, no. It was. It was. It was. Painted by the numbers. I, I honestly guessed it in the first was, trailer. I was just like, Liam Neeson's a villain. But you, it was, was it just? Thin. It was so obvious. It was no, painted by the numbers. It wasn't like, it was, even that. It was, if you've seen was, a film, you will start this film and go. Neeson's a villain straight away. It got to the point where it was coming to what would eventually turn out to be the climax of the film and I was like surely that's not it I was like surely there's something else going on here it's I don't know what it was it was like a lot of build up a lot of build up and then the final third of it is just like done I'll tell you what that was they built up um, his his ex warlord awesome female like master of worlds like gun dealing like other half who has mm. been like espoused and there's this is Rebecca Ferguson's character yeah yeah and and like 
she almost gets a bit part. Like it's like they, it's they, not great, yeah. They come in and it it's done and gone. Like and also she's an alien because she's got three arms. Yeah, it's pretty lazy as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's there's a lot. The other thing as well that does irritate me about plot sometimes is a lot of conveniences in this plot. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all too neatly. Yeah, uh, you've, you you know the one I'm on about, you've... don't you? With the alien that serves. Rizza, which is Rebecca Ferguson's character. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's convenient. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I've just, I just, yeah. I've no, I honestly, and I've, I've, I think I've got a higher tolerance than a lot of people for sitting through the same Hollywood blockbuster time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. But I really feel like I've seen this film seventeen or eighteen times before, if not yeah. more. What it is right. is Disney. I mean, you you look at the formula of a Disney movie. The thing that you walk away with of an average Disney is that. The Did bit... you hear the confidence in that voice there, listeners? His first podcast, and he's literally just gone right. What it is? Hundred percent Disney. Disney. Here they come. Have at it. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm coming at this. Take them down. I'm, I'm coming at this. <laughs> yeah, a, a yeah. very particular point. Right. Is that like for most Disney films, in my experience, which I'm not a film critic, but from what I enjoy as as a viewer is if it's not a, a particular Disney which I come away with thinking that was it as an entire piece is incredible, is that usually the, the kind of the sidekick is really enjoyable. And in this particular film, that is exactly what I've come away with. It's 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 porny. Yeah, porny and, and and her and and his relationship with yeah, Tessa without, Thompson's yeah. character is the star of the show. Like they are the pieces that I've come away with like I thoroughly enjoyed their their kind of camaraderie and their yeah. their kind of playing off each other and again it's that incredible writing of a bit part and you get that in a lot of things as well you get it as Groot in yeah in yeah. In, in Gardens of the Galaxy and like it, it always baffles me why if you can write that great uh, a side character then why is why is that main, a side yeah character? why is the main character so flat yeah yeah, Chris Hemsworth, as as we've all just said, is he's just it's so disappointing. Cause obviously, his last big performance was, as we say, Endgame, and like his character, like Thor, in that is standout. Do you know what I mean? So he's proven he can take the lead in a thing as like a comedic role, and in this, yeah. it was just stereotypical one liners we've all heard before. The script annoyed, to be frank, annoyed the shit out of me at points. There were so many bog standard lines that you've heard in every, as you say. Every film. The whole film was box standard. It was, but like, it's just certain lines, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. Do you expect me to save the world? It's like, oh. <laughs> I'll tell you what wasn't box standard, though. I'll tell you it was completely substandard. And I said to you that when I came out of the cinema, are they deliberately making special effects look worse these days? So in two years' time, yeah. it looks like CGI is taking a big leap forward. Because I'm sorry, this film looks shite. Like the aliens look like for the, it looked like special effects from like the earlier Men in Black films, and I they'll they might you said it might be deliberate. There's no way it's deliberate. There's no way in if 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 they want anything to move on, it will be special effects. It just felt like it didn't have the budget to to deliver on the effect shots because certain certain characters did not look convincing in the no, slightest. Like the 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 little beard alien. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, obviously it doesn't give anything away, but the beard alien just looked. Yeah, like you say. It was like Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah, Jar Jar Binks isn't, I mean? isn't too far yeah. a stretch, to be honest. From, and that's a 20-year gap. Yeah. It just, yeah, there was no... And I did I did watch something. There's a, a great YouTube video, um, and I try should credit it, really, if I remember, but it was he was talking about the fact that it, has, it feels like CGI has gone backwards in films. Mm. Um, 
and I, I would entirely agree with him. And he, he levels to some, some certain reasons why, which a lot of it is the fact that if you go back to the, the big, really big films that had CG in, there was less of those big films that had CGI, and so the studios had more time to do it. Um, and also, there's now, like, CGI shots are everywhere. So the, his theory was perhaps, like, the VX, the VFX teams are just rushed. Um, so it was just like, you're not alone if you think that. And it's just... And he point. I think he did a comparison shot between some of the the stuff in The Hobbit and some of the stuff in Lord of the Rings, and a lot of the stuff in Lord of the Rings looked better. And a lot of it comes down to how they light the CGI scenes, because if if it reflects light properly, it looks more realistic. And this, I think, is a prime example of that because they just look like flat CG characters. There was no reflection. They, they didn't look like they were part of the world around them, and it just really really they takes looked, you out yeah, of the film. They look, like they look bad. It just yeah. looked really bad. Well, that that reflects actually some. Pardon the pun, but that 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 goes on to something that I was in the back of my mind, which is not. You're right about the the beard guy, but one thing that stuck out for me was, and I know it's a trope with Men in Black, is the silver guns, the kind of the silver yeah. kind of machines. Mm. It it really looked dated, like it just did not. Yeah, look. they look they look like the prop guy suddenly went, oh crap, the film's coming out in a week. Do you know what I mean? Like it I was just throw a silver guns, chrome, yeah. yeah, like like kind of like texture like back in the, just back in the late nineties. Like. Cool. But, but I but again, I think I don't think it's necessarily yeah. The look the look works in Men in Black. I just think it's the fact that just if your studio isn't willing to spend enough money in a film, why should I be willing to spend the time to go and see it? You know, coming from if the studio hasn't got that much confidence, they're not going to give a film a budget that it needs. Yeah, like. Men in Black needs budget. It's a yeah. big effects heavy movie. It needs budget. If you're not going to spend the money on it, then how do you expect yeah, people to go and see it? it this way. How's it ever going to return a profit if the, you're not have got enough confidence in it? I the, don't understand. Like, I'll say the big sorry. thing. I was, that's all right. No, the big thing I was thinking of, like at one point, especially related to the effects, was the thing of like you know the flying car. Yeah, and they basically do the classic shot, which is I'm sorry, rip straight out of Back to the Future. Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, the fun. DeLorean looked better. Do you know what I mean? And that was from 1985. Yeah. This is from 2019, and that DeLorean looked more convincing. Obviously, it looks dated now, but yeah. that was from 85. You know, we'll give it some grace. It's 34, 34 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Whereas this was like 2019, and they look... It's questionable how much better which one is than the other. Do you know what I mean? I mean, the one the yeah. one shot in the whole movie that stuck with me, the one thing that I was just like, that's a great shot. Like, that looks fantastic. I love that piece. Is the scene where he goes out onto a rooftop and it's just got Marrakesh in the background. It's just yeah. like the kind yeah, of lights of yeah. the city. I was just like, that's yeah. that was a cool. That was a good shot. Like, and there's no CGI in that. They've just no. gone out onto a rooftop in Marrakesh. And yeah. like, <laughs> like, fair play to them. They, Anything they that looked real at one point was the, the good bits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, any... Aside from what I've said, so Tessa Thompson's good here, Kamal Dinjani's good. The film itself, they can't rescue it. It's just completely unnecessary sequel that just... Just... I, I, I'm annoyed... I'm just... I'm annoyed it even wasn't worse than it is because it's just so mediocre. <laughs> that's the thing uh, that's, like, that's medi- the worst bit mediocrity I've always said this and, and regular listeners will know this I've always said I'd rather tump- something take a swing and miss and try something different rather than just to put something like this out which is just a paint by numbers blockbuster it was it was like it was just, safe. there was nothing there was nothing to make this stand it out it was really safe at all. do you know what I mean they appealed yeah. to Ev- like everyone do you yeah. know what I mean like and it was just but too it, did, safe. it didn't exceed at anything it just no, no. 
No, for me, for me, my final comment would be that, like, I, I appreciate that it came out of the blocks as like it was definitely trying to be a Me Too inclusive Hollywood film, and it did a, an average job of doing that. And there's no reason why they can't just have a good female lead film, which doesn't have to be stellar. Like, they just got to like. There's plenty of kind of like action thrillers that yeah. involve plenty of men, which aren't kind of award-winning films that just need yeah. it needs to be better representation and it was doing that that's good but then it ends on this kind of just like yeah it's a standard trope and then it just ruins I would have preferred thing. it if he'd fallen in love with her and she's just gone yeah well the other thing I walk away from it is obviously um, I'm going to butcher his name but C- Camille Camille and Johnny Camille and Johnny yeah. needs to be in more like, do you know what I mean? He's already he's in quite, he's in, he, he's in in quite a lot, is, but he needs to be yeah. in more. Even he's so, in the big like, sick. I haven't yet. He's watched the big sick. That's brilliant. the thing. Yeah, really, like, really I've good. watched yeah, like Silicon Valley and things Silicon like that. Valley but as well, but it's yeah. amazing. But yeah. yeah, he yeah he kind of he needs to be in. I think more things like uh, yeah, he's just, he was he was the saving grace of that film. Like it, that yeah, was yeah, what made it worth going to see that film. Right. Well, that's pretty much it, guys. How was your first podcast? Thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Good. Yeah. Had to run Thanks about some stuff. On. That's always what I like. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly. nice it's nice that we had to cut things down, you know, because obviously there yeah. was that horror that we were gonna be dead time, but we're still on air at the moment, you are aware of this. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I'm talking that you're off air now, but <laughs> 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 um right, well, yes. So if you want to find out more about Raucous Caucus, then find them on where do you find Raucous Caucus, Joe? Anywhere. Social media, just Twitter. We'll find you. Twitter, yeah. I mean, you creepy yeah, fucker. Liam Neeson has been grooming us for years. Big Brother is watching yes. you. Yes, right. So Raucous Caucus is at Raucous Caucus on Twitter, I guess, and Facebook and that kind of thing. Yeah, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. So if you are Instagram, in Bath on the 30th yeah. of June, come and join us. It's the end of every month at the Cannon Bar in Bath. Um, if you want to find out more about the podcast, obviously you can follow us on at Stranger Cinema on Twitter, at Stranger Cinema on Facebook and Instagram. We will be, well, I will be back next week as with who it's undecided yet so that will be exciting for you uh but we will certainly most certainly be talking about toy story 4 and possibly the child's play remake as well so thank you for listening and i will catch up with you next week shut up and sit down